0: Hello, my name is Joseph Johnson. I'm the principal cellist of the Toronto Symphony, and you're listening to Talking Blues.
1: So you do a lot of things. I know you're the principal cello of the Toronto Symphony, but you're also a solo artist, you're also a teacher. I think you are playing you play chamber music with a bunch of people. Yes. Do you think of yourself number one as the principal cellist of the Toronto Symphony?
0: Uh, no, I don't. Um, I love my job as principal cello of the Toronto Symphony, um, but I feel as a musician I'm sort of on cloud nine because I get to do everything. You know, I don't just play orchestra. I don't just play concertos. I don't just teach. Um, I get to go back and forth between these worlds and intersect them. Um, and it's taken a while. I mean, I've been a professional now for about twenty six years, twenty seven years. Um, but it's it's just it's wonderful for me to say, "Go play a three hour rehearsal with the Toronto Symphony." on a Monday morning, and then hop on the subway, go down to museum station, get out, and walk into the faculty of music building at the University of Toronto, and teach for four hours, and then have my studio class on Monday night. And then, you know, maybe later that week I'll be rehearsing a chamber group for a concert that I have. And it's just, it's it's all-encompassing. And it keeps me keeps me motivated. I never get bored. I never get tired of one thing. Um,
1: Is it unusual? Like, do, Are there a lot of people in the symphony who would just do the symphony and nothing
0: else? I don't think anybody in the symphony just does the symphony. Um, I think every musician in the symphony has different passions, maybe outside of their instrument, um, whether that be teaching or playing or nothing to do with their instrument, um, but I, I find that most of the musicians in, in this orchestra are really passionate people about a multitude of things. Um, I just happen to sort of be a total cello nerd. I love, <laughs> I just love being um, an all-around musician, I guess, and that's what's really fun for me.
1: Now when you say total cello nerd, I do you do anything i mean i know you do other things than music but do you have other interests that you consider to be hobby other than music
0: yes but i can't do any of them here in toronto so uh, i love being in the ocean i love scuba diving or um, snorkeling or swimming um, just being in the water Paddleboarding, you name it um, which is why i go to hawaii every year for vacation um, Uh, The reason I go there is, I mean, the obvious, which is that it's a great place, but I worked there for a year in 2008 um, as a guest principal cello of the Honolulu Symphony, which no longer exists, but um, I was there for a long time, I met a lot of people, I fell in love with the islands, I fell in love with the water. Um, And that's where uh, the love of water comes from, or was it before that? I, I think it was a little bit before that, but, I mean, I was a swimmer as a kid, and uh, but I think as an adult, that's when it really started. And, um, you know, swimming in Lake Ontario is not fun for me. It's too cold and you can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, any chance I can be out there is, uh, it's very liberating. It's very quiet when you're on the water. You're, you're, you're just by yourself and um, there's a whole nother world underneath us that you know, a lot of people have no idea exists, and I'm just fascinated by it, mm-hmm. slightly terrified as well, which is good. Um,
1: I mean, it's crazy to think how much we, how little we know about what's underneath the water. Right, right. I mean, I mean there's so many species that we probably n- never come across. Well,
0: it's interesting. Throughout this whole pandemic, I think every musician friend of mine that I know went through um, a deep. You know, philosophical reckoning of, okay, if this is all going to go away, what else could I do? Like, what could I realistically do with my life?
1: So did you actually think that,
0: that this could all go away? Well, there was a long time when we were not playing any concerts, and i mean obviously in the early age early age of the pandemic nobody really knew how long it was going to last or what was going to happen so i think it's something that we think about anyway but this multiplied that um and i came to the conclusion sadly or amazingly whichever however you want to look at it that i can't do anything else i don't want to do anything else than what i'm doing but i did sort of explore some marine biology degrees and um jobs that would put me on the water or help out the environment you know the 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 ocean environment and possibly be able to live somewhere that's around water <laughs> uh but ultimately a it was it's just the thought of going back to school at my age and it's terrifying and 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 B, I, I you know i really love what i do so <laughs> um um, but yeah, that is definitely a hobby
1: when At what point did you did you realize during the pandemic? okay, so I gotta figure out how I'm gonna get through this with music and and I presume you probably still taught.
0: Yes, thank goodness, I was so lucky to be teaching um did I mean, that happen
1: immediately or was there a break?
0: No, that that was ongoing because we stopped, everything stopped in March, but that was, you know, right towards the end of the spring semester at University of Toronto. So um, all of the recitals were moved to, you know, inside, or we tried to make it work as much as possible, recorded. So I was still getting students ready for things, and um, then as... We started to get a handle on what was okay and what wasn't okay. We were allowed to do one-on-one lessons in person, which was great because it gave me a place to go, sort of purpose. But also um, the invention of Zoom was amazing as a, as a teacher because I got to meet all of these students and cellists from around the world that I never would have had the opportunity to meet. Um, to teach. To teach, yeah, because everybody, everybody went online. Right, the whole world went online, and I started getting these uh, emails on my webpage saying, "Hey, I'm blah 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 from blah blah blah. Could we have a lesson over Zoom?"
1: So, what? How does that happen? How do they know to contact you?
0: Well, I think I think young people now. I mean, they're always online. They're on their phones. They're checking. Things out. Everything is on the internet now. All these concerts, all these artists, everything. And admittedly, I don't have a lot out there on purpose. I just, I don't know. There's something about that that I'm not wild about. But so I haven't. What do you mean, like
1: of your performances? Yeah, yeah. Just it's because it's not the same as the real thing.
0: Uh, kind of. It's well, it's partially that. Yes, it's laziness. Um, I, I don't really have. <laughs> I don't make the time to put stuff out there. Um, I'm horrible with self-promotion. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, But there's enough out there where people were able to find stuff and then find my webpage and listen to a few things and and get in touch with me. Um,
1: Does that come more from, I know you do some featured cellist work. You do some like solo work. You do some chamber music or does it come from the fact that you're the principal cellist from the TSO?
0: I think it's everything. It depends on what people are looking for. So, but you can find, you know, if you dig deep, you can, <laughs> or not or not deeply, but um, yeah. I mean, I, it's funny how every once in a while I'll, I'll get an email from somebody with a link to something that I had no idea was out there, um, <laughs> which is... Hilarious. At this point, it—I mean, it's—it's it's impossible to control yeah, right, yeah. what's out there. I mean, I—it's funny. I just gave a concert playing Dvorak Concerto a week a week ago. Is this is in North York, is that yeah, yeah, with North. And I—I I was having a really good time, and I—I just—I was actually thinking about this conductor, Michael Morgan, who was a mentor of mine growing up. Um, and through my adult adult life, and we have, we had done the Dvorak Concerto a few times with different orchestras, and he passed away last year. Um, so I was thinking about him in the second movement of the Dvorak, and I was so having this while you were playing. While I was playing, I was having this wild, out of body experience, which I never have. Um, and I was just thinking about him and my relationship with him, and and you know I met him when I was. 14 years old. And um, I just started getting emotional and I started actually crying, uh, but not with tears down my cheek crying, but definitely my eyes were moist. And I thought to myself, okay, you've got to stop this or else you're going to lose it. And you know, you're in the middle of playing right now. So I tried to I tried to come back and I opened my eyes and then I I saw somebody in the front row with their phone up, recording me, um, and it really bothered me. It just took me from one extreme of like this incredible moment that I was experiencing and whatever to this slight feeling of um, invasion. And I I don't like I, I don't like I think it's just inappropriate to be recording somebody when you're ten feet away. I mean it would be like me coming to somebody's place of work and just holding my phone up in front of them for 40 minutes and 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 right. videotaping them. And it you know it's different. It's not a rock concert. It's um, like what we're, we're what I what we're doing is it takes like incredible precision and I don't know. It just took me out of that and then i was getting annoyed that i was annoyed um but my point being is that you just can't control where things go right so who knows what is going to happen with that like is that going to go online is it just going to sit on this person's phone i don't know um see what fascinates me here
1: just hearing that is that you're doing this amazing classical music piece which i presume is not easy It's quite complicated. And you have to focus in on playing with your. It was an orchestra, was it not? Correct. So, and you're the featured guest, so like you're the focus. And there's a lot of attention being paid to you on a difficult musical piece, and you're thinking about your teacher. You're like somewhere else. Right. Which I find. Amazing. I mean, and I know that at the same time, you have to be focused on the music that you're playing because you can't not do that right? and get away with it. But it's amazing that you have the time to think about some somebody who meant a lot to you while you're playing this, while you're concentrating on executing
0: right. this music. Okay, well, I mean, first of all, the Dvorak Concerto is, you know, every cellist's almost favorite piece to play in the world. It's just one of those great pieces. I've played it so many times over my life um, that, I mean, if if TSO called me and said, hey, can you play Dvorak Concerto in 30 minutes? I'd say, yeah, fine. It's always in my fingers. It's always ready to go. I mean, I teach it all the time um, and I practice it a lot. Um, so it's one of those pieces that I can get away with sort of right le- you know uh, leaving a little bit <laughs> if i were playing something say that i've never played before or something that i'm really really not super familiar with that probably i wouldn't probably not have been as relaxed enough to go there with my mind
1: and you just know you know based on the piece and how you feel
0: how far what you can let your mind do right Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like the basketball player who gets in the zone, right? And just wherever they shoot the ball from, the, the basket's the size of the Pacific Ocean, right? And it's just this feeling where no matter what you're doing, it's gonna be fine. And, um, and I think in performance, that's something that we really want to be able to get to, is that place of just pure harmony and ease, with our surroundings with our instruments with with the music that that we are producing and and the musicians that are around you um it was just, it was really cool um also i've you know it was it's the pandemic really changed uh people i think and gave us all a chance to sort of reflect on i don't know what we're doing with our lives how how we are performing and i remember coming out of the pandemic and starting to do live performances again and i was not very comfortable um i was stressed out i i was feeling pressure and tension whenever i i would have something big
1: as an orchestral player or a no or a you-
0: soloist or if i had some big solo or 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 in, in the like and I mean, it really got to the point where I thought, well, this is this is not how I want to go about <laughs> my business. Um, and I think as artists, we go through phases. I mean, as, as humans, we go through phases where things are great, things are not, things are great, things are not. Um, and it's finding, finding the right balance. Um, but it, it got to the point where I actually felt like I needed to get some help from a Sports psychologist, uh, as somebody who deals with people who uh, are performers, so I went through this program and it was life changing. Um, I mean, I'm still kind of going through it, but you know, since starting that, every major large concert or like solo concert or anything that's putting me like in the limelight um, has been. Mm -hmm so much fun and uh, confidence building and just shows you how powerful the, the mind is.
1: But I can imagine if this is what you've done and you've done this from an early age to be dedicating a lot of time to your cello. And I presume that during the pandemic you still played, but probably not as much. And it's probably different to be on your own versus playing with other people right so all of a sudden you're not doing that and i i you know I've, I've talked to a lot of musicians who say i'm starting to play and it doesn't feel comfortable right. it feels weird it feels scary and this is what they've done all their lives so i can imagine how what a what an impact it would have on you like it just seems normal to me
0: yeah i think that is but also i mean you know it's funny uh I mean, I have this conversation with many of my colleagues, right? Any any musician who, say, who says, oh, I'm not nervous. I don't get nervous. I think, I mean, at least, um, I think any orchestral musician who doesn't play a concerto, you know, three or four nights a week. Like, if you're a concerto soloist, you're used to it. It's That's what you do. Like, for for me, I'm not playing a concerto every week. So, um So when I do get to do it, it's just a little bit, it's just not as normal, I think. And then um, with that, that was just not, it wasn't very fun anymore. And I was actually thinking about just not doing it anymore. And then I thought about how sad that is because I actually really, like when I'm happy or when I'm in a good place, I love it. And I feel like I do it well. And I feel like I have something to say about these amazing pieces. And what a shame to just stop doing that because I'm afraid. Right. I'm afraid of whatever. Um, And I have also I'm teaching this. (laughs) So uh, but it's also it's a good lesson for my students to say, hey, look, you know, I'm vulnerable, too. I go through periods where I don't feel very confident or anything, and then you have to work on it. And uh, and I think that resonates with my young students and people who are looking up to me um, and just saying like, hey, it's okay. You know, we all go through anxiety. Um, and it's how you manage that. That's, that's the most important thing. How do you think your students were affected by the pandemic? Um, so I think my college kids and my high school kids were able to practice more. I think they... This is from my perspective. Right. They seemed unfazed. If anything, it was nicer because they didn't have all these extra classes and things to go to. Um, they're already online all the time. So being able to have lessons on their phone or you know on their computer was just like, yeah, this is great. I don't have to go to school. Um, and so they really thrived. Uh, I have some older students, though, like uh, when I go teach at the New World Symphony in Miami. And they are post, post-college post but pre-professional and sort of down there, like getting ready to take auditions and, you know, get that break. And then all that stopped. Right. And I remembered having a master class with them over Zoom and they were struggling because they weren't in school and they don't have auditions to take and they're unemployed um and i remember one kid kid not a kid he's you know in mid 20s but he he asked how do you play with passion anymore and it just you know stuck a <laughs> stake through my heart because he was right i mean mm-hmm. none of us had played with passion in over a year at that point we'd all been practicing in our homes or making videos in our homes but you know the audience is what brings out the the feels the passion the i mean when you have somebody to play for i mean you can play for yourself but only to a certain extent and then
1: so is it impossible to play really passionate without an audience
0: no it's absolutely not but if you're sitting in your living room for 10 months yeah yeah yeah. you know okay fine
1: when did that has that passion come back to you
0: oh yeah absolutely and did it come back quickly yeah well i'm a very passionate musician so that came back really quickly and i mean but yeah it's Without that sort of deadline, I think musicians thrive under deadlines, and and you know this is this is when you're going to play this piece at this date in this city in this venue, at this time. Great, awesome, check. Like I I'm I have motivation for this program to learn that this piece for that program. But when you take all that away, it's it's okay. I mean, what wh- how am I going to keep myself in shape and keep my mind fresh when I just don't have anything? any kind of a pressure moment coming. Um, And that was a real trick for everybody. Um, And I, I think people handle it differently. I mean, in a way, when the pandemic started, I was burned out I was even thinking about taking a sabbatical. I I, I just hadn't hadn't taken a break in 27 years, and I don't even take uh, summers. I mean, I go straight from here to Santa Fe, where I spend 10 weeks playing in the opera and the Chamber Music Festival, and then back here. So I was ready, and I did throw my cello in the corner of the living room for about three weeks when the whole thing started. Um, which I've never done in my and whole were life. And you
1: good with that? Like, was that? Oh
0: yeah, it felt great. <laughs> my body was so happy. Uh, my mind was happy. Just I was able to just sleep and rest and recover.
1: Did you think about music at all?
0: Yeah, I thought about it. Did you listen to music? Mm, I don't think so. I don't normally listen to music anyway. Uh, just be- I always find this fascinating. Well, it's just because I'm around it all yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah. I don't, I you know, I, I need my ears need a break. I I even when I'm on a long road trip, um, I usually don't listen to anything. It's just I love the silence. Or if I do listen to something, it'll be talk radio or a podcast or something like that. Um, it's funny like what if i'm with my partner and we're driving a long distance and then he's driving he always wants to have music and i and i'm like really do we have to (laughs) really
1: (laughs) okay so you work with so much music and i get that is there anything other than classical you you would listen to
0: oh yeah of course absolutely i mean when i grew up as a as a kid i used to listen to like uh a lot of heavy metal like hair bands um, give me some examples uh like nine inch nails and <laughs> uh metallica and i'm dating myself you know oh, no. did, michael
1: jackson did you appreciate the metallica working with the san francisco
0: symphony oh that was cool yeah that was really cool yeah um no and i i um so you I'll go to the to danforth that? a lot with my partner we go see concerts he he's the one who who kind of gets me to go venture outside of my normal my normal uh, classical world which is great because i i learn a lot and i can um what do you learn what
1: what do you just observe see some say?
0: performers and see their energy and see you know whether they are into precision or if they're more into just improv and letting letting everything just kind of go or um you know some artists are really great recording artists and maybe not the best in person and then some artists you are you're just blown away it live it's yeah christine and the queen we saw them at her at the danforth and it was maybe the greatest show i've ever seen in my life like on any genre I, i i just i left that show just thinking i i had just seen something so special um that i was i felt like lucky to be in a room that small with an artist like that and i mean the show was just mind-blowing incredible can you
1: take whatever you witnessed whatever you felt and kind of apply that to what you do
0: yeah uh i mean yeah i want walk-on music when i come out and smoke and (laughs) lights and (laughs) that would be great Well, well well could you change that? outfits yeah sure that'd be great uh i mean but certainly not it would have to be not with a tso not with right. ts and it would, I mean, it would take a lot of effort um and someday maybe i'll do that i think that would be really fun
1: does does the formality of classical music does it not frustrate you but there is a certain etiquette associated with
0: classical um music. i think half and half i think there's something really cool about the formality of it like coming in and just seeing a full symphony orchestra on stage is it's it's really neat and like the splendor of the concert hall like whenever you go to a, you know in north america you've got carnegie hall or severance hall in cleveland and in in europe of course all of these great halls and you walk in and the lobby is just amazing and then you know there's something really regal and cool about that I love it. I love the theater, the pageantry in a way. Um, Personally, I would love to get rid of the tails. I I think that's pretty antiquated. Um, I think wearing all black or suits or something like that is a little bit more with the times. and still looks good, but it's a little less bougie. Um, That's my opinion. I never wear tails on my own when I'm playing. Um, I do like having a connection with the audience. So if I'm doing a recital or a chamber music concert, definitely I want to talk to the audience because I think that eliminates this invisible barrier if there is one. Um makes me feel better as a performer. I think it makes the audience feel a little bit more connected to to the performer.
1: Can you give me an example of what you would like? I mean, are you cracking jokes? Are you talking about the piece? Are you?
0: Yeah, I'm talking about the piece, uh, maybe talking a little bit about the preparation, talking about the composer, um, cracking some jokes. I'm very unscripted when I'm speaking to an audience. If you put a script in front of me, I'll turn into a stone tablet. It's horrible. Like yeah. I get so nervous. Um, but if I can just be off the cuff, I think it's definitely more me. It's... it's um, it's more fun. And as an educator, I mean, I think it it's fun to educate the audience on something that they're hearing, you know, like a Benjamin Britten unaccompanied sonata, which most people don't know about or listen to. And I think if you just go out and plop down and play it, um, people are not going to understand, like, why did he write this? Who was Benjamin Britten? What kind of life did he have to deal with, you know, growing up? And Talking about the form of the piece, I think it helps people listen to listen to it and understand it more, and understand what I'm thinking about when I'm playing. Um, so that's at least my philosophy. I, I I think in the orchestra it's hard to get rid of that, <laughs> um, just because it's such a large audience and it's such a you know a large amount of people on stage. Um, Do you
1: get to know your audience?
0: Yeah. I Actually, it was interesting after the pandemic and we started coming back and giving concerts. Um, it was nice to see some of the f- same familiar people that come to our concerts on a regular basis and kind of thinking like, oh, okay, good, you're fine, you made it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, so good to see you. And, and we'll, we will wave at each other. Or um, when the cellos sit on the outside... At Roy Thompson Hall, um, there's just sort of like your people. These are the, these are the Wednesday night people, and we say hi to each other. And these are the Thursday night people, and we say hi to each other. And um, it's kind of cool. Then like if we have a pops concert, like oh these are the pops people that come and sit in my little section here, and and that's really fun. Actually, I became really good friends with somebody who used to come and sit in the front row, like right next to me, and. Finally, after one concert, um, she came up to me and introduced herself and gave me her card and said, I don't want you to think that I'm a, you know, crazy stalker person, but if you'd ever like to go have a drink sometime, give me a call. And I had been thinking the same thing because we had just chatted off and on for a few months. And I was thinking like, oh, this person seems really cool. And it turned into this amazing friendship. Um, so I I like that. I yeah, I mean, I you think know, other fun.
1: musicians tend to meet with their fans afterwards or whatever. I don't know what interaction happens with a symphony orchestra.
0: It's weird. Uh, it can be anything. And sometimes some people, you know, you don't want to. I, I, it's it's a, it's a tricky thing. I think it's just you can tell when, if somebody's cool and chill or if somebody's a little less cool and chill. Um Because, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, yeah, it's different, but it's, it's funny, it's, it's really funny Um, when you, like, I've been here for 12 years now, so anybody who comes to the symphony on a regular basis is going to know who I am or what I look like or, or anything like that, and it's just funny to run into people randomly all over the city who will come (laughs) up to you and be like, are you in the symphony? like oh i love you know i love coming to the symphony and and i love that like i think it's great i <laughs> one of the funniest ones was when i met somebody in costco <laughs> and i go to costco like twice a year <laughs> and somebody so this woman comes up to me she's like are you Joe Johnson? And I said, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, I got to shop too. I got to get Kleenex and whatever. And uh, and she just thought it was just so weird that I was there. And I was, I was like, why? I'm a person, <laughs> you
1: know? I need my 12 dozen muffins.
0: Exactly, exactly. So it was just funny. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I get a kick out of that. And just seeing people that, that want to tell you how much your performances mean or, or how much they love coming to, to the symphony, or I saw you play you know, two years ago at blah, 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 and blah, 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 and it's really cool because it, it impacts people. And on stage, we don't really get any feedback except applause, mm-hmm. but we don't know, like maybe to the degree of what your performance means to them. Um, one one concert in particular, I remember I was playing the Barber Cello Concerto on a tour. And we I was in Russia. We had done a, a tour of the States and then we were doing a tour of Russia, all these cities. And we were in Kazan. And I played. And afterwards, and everywhere I went, I had an interpreter with me that just followed me everywhere I went in Russia because I spoke... nyet. <laughs> Ruski. And... This woman came up, and she was really clearly emotional, and said through the interpreter that her daughter was a cellist, and that they had bought the tickets six months prior and were really looking forward to the concert, and then her daughter died in a car accident. And she wasn't sure if she was going to come. And then she decided that she would come because she knew that her daughter wanted to come, and that... She was so moved by the performance and that she spent the whole time thinking about her daughter and the fact that she was able to tell me that meant a lot to me and I mean, and this was twenty years ago at least, and I still remember that, but she could have just gone home, and I would never know right. and I'm sure that happens with a lot of people with a lot of different artists, you know, whether you're classical or I mean, especially rock musicians, which can be very nostalgic if you follow a band for decades, and you know, oh, I saw them in nineteen ninety, whatever, at Wembley, and I don't know. It's just, I mean, that's music p- makes you think of things, right? And it makes you think of your childhood. It can make you think of your like different periods of time in your life, or loved ones, or. Um,
1: I mean, that's a pretty heavy thing,
0: though. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, what but that happens think? a yeah. lot. You would, I mean. It's it's amazing, yeah. Like a lot. I wish I, you know, now I wish I would write down everything. I have kept cards and emails um, that people have written to me about, say, a, per- a performance or you know, an ex student or something. That, yeah, you just it's a it's a it's a way of living where you leave an impact on people, which I think is pretty cool. So It's very cool.
1: Um, going back to something you said about before the pandemic and how you had almost felt like you were burnt out, that you were working constantly and then when the pandemic happened you had a chance to take a three week break.
0: Well, even more, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Total. Yes. <laughs> three
1: three weeks away from three weeks away from your cello. What is it about you that that's driven like that? Like, oh, I got it from this... my father. <laughs> Okay, but this is <laughs> but, your doing, right? Like this is, it's not like you're forced to do all these things. Right. This is because you love what you do and you pursue them.
0: Uh, yes, it's probably a, a topic for a psychologist somewhere <laughs> down the line. And uh, I mean, all of my friends and colleagues do think that I work too much. And, I, you know, I probably do. My, bro- my brother thinks I work too much and... My mom worries about me, uh, but my father's the same way. He's kind of a workaholic, uh, but I, it's—I just—I like it, so it makes me feel um, relevant, and um, I, I just, uh, yeah. If I'm if I'm pausing too long, I get a little antsy. And I think that's just the way I've developed my life, but I can relax, and I do do take vacations, and I do realize that it's important to stop. Um, do you know when, like,
1: because there must be times when you're just pushing yourself.
0: Yeah, uh, but there are times when I know I can I can just take a week off and go. Usually, I have to go out of town. If I don't, if I stay in town, I'll get roped into things. So if I'm gone then I'll I will actually turn off and but, it's nice.
1: But your life is not something immediate. I mean you have things happen to you that's planned years right. in advance.
0: Yes. Right? Like it's Yeah, I can plan these things. Yeah.
1: So tell me about how you got into I mean you said you you, you love doing all these different things. Tell me about the young Joseph who said I want to become a musician and what you had what you thought that would be and what you wanted what was it did you want to join the symphony was that the number one goal or was it to be a solo cellist or what was what motivated
0: you in the beginning um I feel like my life has been really easy in terms of I've never had to struggle with knowing what I wanted to do um when I, I grew up in Chicago, and when I was in fifth grade, my school took me down to see the Chicago Symphony, and I remembered sitting up in the balcony, and I was just like that sound was so incredible. And I already loved music at that point. My mom was a K through five music teacher, and my dad is is musical, and they all we always had music on at the in the house. But I thought, oh wow, that that's really cool. I want to do that cello or symphony the symphony yeah Um, cello came through the public schools i started piano when i was five and actually really wanted to be a pianist um, more than a cellist but actually this conductor that i mentioned earlier michael morgan he was the assistant conductor of the chicago symphony at the time and was also the conductor of the chicago youth symphony which is what i was in and i won the concerto competition on piano of the youth orchestra and played the Grieg concerto in orchestra hall with the youth orchestra with Michael conducting my grade 11 and uh after that concert he took me and my parents out for lunch the next week and he said okay you need to quit piano and you need to get really serious about cello and find a teacher that's going to get you into conservatory And then listed all of these reasons. Okay,
1: I don't... Does that make sense to you, that you could watch you play piano and do something great and then say, you got to get off the piano? Yeah,
0: because, you know, I wasn't taking cello lessons at the time. I was principal of the youth orchestra. Cello came very naturally to me. I mean, I think if you're a really good piano player, I think playing any other instrument is going to be so much easier because... You know, if you think about it with piano, you, you're reading two clefs at the same time. You're possibly playing 10 notes at the same time. You're playing the melody, the counter melody and all the harmony. Um, and then you go to cello and it's like, oh, OK, here's one clef at a time with one line. And it just I think mentally it's a little bit easier. Of course, it's a different, completely different instrument. And that's a whole thing in itself. But
1: because you could have just as easily not been able to adapt to a string instrument. Sure. Right.
0: Right. But he was right, and, uh, you know, that was really hard for me because I was so passionate about piano, and I mean, I, I still love the piano. Um,
1: Do you play at all anymore?
0: Not in front of anybody, <laughs> I so I either. don't, I, you know, we moved here and I couldn't fit a piano anywhere, <laughs> so my piano is still back in Chicago. Um, but I do I'll, I'll sneak I'll sneak in some time on the piano at orchestra hall or, or uh, Roy Thompson or at, at universities every once in a while or play for my students every once in a while if the piece is easy enough um, but I mean I'm terrible I can't play like I used to um, but yeah I, I had a great high school my orchestra director was amazing I was in choir I was in theater I was the total like music theater nerd in in high school and had music theater friends and it was really awesome and by the time i was a grade 10 i i was ready to leave i was like okay let's let's get going um so by the time i got to college you know i was already really serious and but, so um,
1: you said you were devastated about not playing the piano how did you get over that
0: i think i just had to get over it right and i i think i just had to re i had to prioritize the cello more Um, and it took a few years like I still when I, I went to Eastman for my undergrad and I took my first year I took piano as a secondary instrument so I was still getting piano lessons every week and you know I was my jury was pictures at an exhibition and some Rachmaninoff preludes and Chopin etudes or something like that and they were looking at me like uh you're a cello major like what <laughs> and even i had a conversation with my teacher my cello teacher um first year who said you know i think you really need to focus more on cello and not practice so much piano um so yeah it was definitely a slow burn and
1: um how long did it take for the cello to become you
0: for you to become very comfortable with it? pretty quickly uh, I, I think by the time I got into my second year of college, I I was very seriously practicing. Uh, my routine was I'd go to classes and go to orchestras and go to chamber rehearsals, but then from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., I would practice every day. And then I just started kind of really getting better at a, at a quick pace. Um, and when I went to Northwestern for my master's, I was also in the Civic Orchestra of Chicago, and I also was given the opportunity to sub with the Chicago Symphony. And let me tell you, that was so incredible. I mean, I was playing with my hometown orchestra and sitting in front of Bud Herseth and Dale Clevenger, um, principal trumpet, principal horn, like legends of the brass world playing Mahler's six and then going from that rehearsal to my Northwestern university symphony rehearsals. And it was, (laughs) I was so desperate to get into a professional orchestra that I just, I turned into like, I think every orchestra musician says that at some point you have to go a little crazy in terms of, your practice and becoming so solitary in your life that you only have one purpose and so that was my year where I'd be at school at 7 a.m. so that I could start practicing and then any any classes that I had to do was in my opinion like a waste of time because I just wanted to practice to get into an orchestra I uh, stayed at school as late as I possibly could until like the security guards would come and kick me out. And then I would go home and like sleep and then just do that for a whole year. And the Minnesota Orchestra, which was my first orchestra that I performed in and was also my first audition, but I had heard them all the time on National Public Radio um, when I was at Eastman. I knew they were really great. Um, I loved the string sound that they had and they had a cello opening. And uh, so I went for it and I... I just I was crazy that year. Like for four months or three months, I was practicing like a fiend so that I could get into that orchestra.
1: But the focus was definitely playing in the orchestra. Yep, nothing. Oh, else. Totally,
0: totally. I mean, I did play some concertos, uh, and I liked playing them. And I think my teacher wanted a different path for me. Maybe I think he he was more interested in me like trying to become a soloist. But I don't think that was really. In my blood. Um,
1: What would be the difference? Because I would imagine you would have to work even harder to be a soloist.
0: um, Well, you know, it's interesting. I think sometimes... I mean, if you're a great player, you can be a soloist or you can be uh, in an orchestra. I think there's a lot of soloists out there who are... You know they're okay, but I don't know if I'd. I mean, to be truly, truly great, I think is there's a there's there are levels, right? And we all know who like the really great ones are. And then yeah, I I think being a soloist, it, it's I don't think it's the playing that's hard because. You know you're not playing a lot of, it's not like you're playing a hundred different pieces every year. Um, I for me I think it's the travel and the constant sort of self promotion and um being in cities that you don't know anybody and like having to go and talk to people that you don't know and you'll you may never see again that that was not appealing to me and I think also I'm not good at that like I think some people love that they love traveling they love the attention they love meeting people and Whatever, and they're excellent at it. It just wasn't wasn't really something that I'm uh, totally in love with. I actually like. I kind of feel bad for some of the soloists because they're they're so busy. They're always traveling. They're, you know, I I'll if I'm friends with one of the, somebody, I'll I'll ask them like, hey, you know, do you want to come over for dinner? Do you want a ho- home cooked meal, or Um, Do you want to hang out? Because I I think it can be a very lonely life.
1: What what makes a good orchestra, orchestral player?
0: I just think a great orchestra player is somebody who can really play their instrument, but also knows how to play well with other people. Has great radar. Um, Really awesome rhythm. Uh, Just sort of like innate rhythm and pitch. But also, it's just being a good colleague, in my opinion, is the key to being a great orchestra player.
1: Okay, so I've asked this to a few other TSO members, but as the principal cellist, what is your role? What What makes you the principal cellist and what, what is your role
0: of being a principal cellist? Um, uh, well, just uh, the obvious things, which is like playing all the solos, um, doing all the bowings for every season, um, is that a difficult thing? No, it's just time consuming. <laughs> but I've got it down now. So. so
1: basically this season you're going to play X number of pieces and you have to figure out how the bowing goes for all the cello.
0: Yes. Yep. But we do it in a cycle. It starts with the first violins, then goes to the second violins, then goes to the violas, then comes to me, and then it goes to the basses. So that we're all more or less doing the same thing. Otherwise it would be it would be chaos if you know half the people were doing up bows and half the people are doing down bows when we're together or something like that. So we have a definite we have a, a system on how we do bowings. Um, but yeah, we have to bow everything that we play.
1: So at what point did you decide so you decide you wanted to be a member of an orchestra? At what point did you decide I want to do other things? Or what was the next priority to you? Was it teaching? Was it doing some solo work? Was it being in a chamber, in a quartet, or something.
0: When I was in Minnesota Orchestra, I, I was in a quartet for seven years, and it was with three other really badass players. Who we were all young. We we wanted to work, um, and it was awesome. It was amazing. I loved it. I feel like quartet playing for me is the the ultimate of everything, because you get to be a solo voice, but you're in an ensemble. Um, so it requires everything like incredible precision of your own playing incredible radar on being aware of what everybody else is doing. And then playing as one unit, there's really kind of what we wanted to achieve. We were, we would practice three to four times a week for seven years. And we did like most of the Beethoven's, all the bar Um, those were priorities for us, you know, uh, a whole slew of other things and I mean to be able to talk about matching vibratos and going beat by beat and pitch and everything and just trusting three other human beings like you know exactly what they're gonna do and how they're gonna react in a cer- certain situation it's you, can, you don't get that as a soloist because but as a soloist you're by yourself you don't get that in an orchestra because there's just too many people and you can't hear them and and so yeah, it was. I mean, most, I think most string players, I would, if you ask them what's your favorite medium, would probably say string quartet because it's just the music is amazing, it's endless, and you know, it keeps you on your toes. But it's going to be tough to be working as a string quartet all the time. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. You have to split everything four ways. Um, And you're hustling all the time. Uh, But the music making is awesome. It's just, for me, it's the best.
1: Are you in a string quartet now?
0: No. It's too hard. I don't have time. And the way I would want to be in a quartet is with like total, um, what's the right word? Commitment not Mm, like just getting together for four days and putting something together and then playing like that's that's not what i would consider to be like you would replace
1: the orchestra with the string quartet
0: well if i were going to do it then yeah Uh, otherwise it's just it's it's sort of like 80 percent like i'll do it but mm, it's (laughs) okay so yeah it's just but is it an
1: ultimate goal like would you one day want to do that
0: uh no because I don't want to travel that much and I mean if it was a quartet with three other people and we had like some amazing residency at a great university yes but I think those days are gone and that's fine that's fine I love going to hear like really amazing established quartets that have been playing together for a long time and um the dedication it takes it's it's pretty remarkable and i know what i got to experience i did get to experience it at a really high level with these amazing players and so i know what it was like musically
1: and i presume musically it's or the way you play your instrument is quite different yes from being in an orchestra
0: versus being in a string quartet versus being a soloist absolutely has to be I mean if you want to blend (laughs) right (laughs) if you want to be a sensitive musician then you need to be able to wear the different hats Um, the soloist hat the orchestra hat the chamber musician hat yeah you cannot approach it the same way Um, definitely but that's also what's really fun about it
1: how do you decide on the solo stuff that you do like how much do you seek out because you conscious of the fact that you have limited time with all the other things that you're doing, but you're still out there doing stuff. How do you decide, next year I'm going to do this, this, and this?
0: Um, A lot of times I don't decide. It'll be an orchestra that says, hey, can you come and do Blah Concerto? And you say, sure, okay, if you want to do it. Um, Sometimes you have some input, and that's nice, Uh, but a lot of the times... um, you know some of the stuff that I want to do now, like nobody wants to do it because the conductors don't want to learn this concerto and they don't have time to rehearse it, and it you know needs to be something that's going to sell tickets. Um, so there's all kinds of factors that go in that go into it um, with with choosing concerti.
1: Okay, so if right. somebody says, "Hey, we would like you to come and play this." What does that usually mean? How how many rehearsals? How how much lead time? of your own time to rehearse and then how much are you actually rehearsing with, with an orchestra?
0: Well, you don't get a lot of time rehearsing with the orchestra, maybe two rehearsals, maybe. (laughs) Um, at that day or two, two days prior to the, yeah, maybe the day before or two days before it depends on their schedule or my schedule. Sometimes it has to be the day of, which I don't like, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Um,
1: yeah, don't and, know and conductors don't—you
0: know—conductors don't want to spend time working on the concerto. They want to spend time working on their symphony or whatever their, you know, their main thing is. Um, It's—it's just—it's funny how, how that works. Uh, so really, as a soloist, you have to go in just knowing exactly what the orchestra is doing, unless it's a new concerto and and you know you're actually spending time as an orchestra, as a conductor, and as a soloist, like learning the piece together because um, sometimes yeah, if you're playing a new piece all you have is the score and you don't even know what it sounds like until you get there I mean you can have an idea in your head but that's always really fun for me is working on a brand new piece that nobody's ever done and then getting to that first rehearsal and like hearing <laughs> hearing it because you don't know <laughs> but yeah. I also
1: wonder when you're hearing it when you're playing is it the same as what I'm hearing it as the audience?
0: Oh, probably not. Because we're, we're thinking about different things. Yeah. I mean, I'm focusing on different things than an audience member, right? So, yeah. And I mean, I think as an audience member, if I go and see a symphony or a ballet or an opera, you know, I'm probably more focusing on like listening to the cello section than whatever just because that's my nature right um which is cool it's like audiences listen for different things so okay
1: you talked about people who've influenced you you talked about the conductor and, and 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 obviously somebody who said you should play the cello um who had a major impact on your life when did you decide teaching was important to
0: you well, in my twenties, I probably said to many people, "I will never teach. I have no interest in teaching. I just want to perform." Uh, <laughs> and you know, funny how things change, right? How um, did it change? <laughs> well, I think. Um, and I would say, why did you feel that way? Just because you're too busy being an artist? I just had no desire. But also, I didn't really know what I was talking about either. I mean, I think that. The great teachers are the teachers that have been around a long time and have a lot of experience um so as a twenty year old you don't know anything i mean really <laughs> about anything um so i yeah I think partially it was it was just i had i had no i had nothing to offer I had no experience with anything I was still trying to figure out how to play the cello i mean I'm still trying to figure out how to play the cello but um i think it started when um you know people just come up to you and say hey can i play for you like students at a university in this in the city that you're living in and then it then you know maybe you get invited to go teach a class here or there and slowly it's just started becoming more normal and then more and more people want to take lessons with you and then oh you get noticed by this university over there hey can you come do this master class and then oh this it's like hey oh i see your teaching over here do you you know do you have time to come teach here and then and then it just kind of spirals it's wild (laughs) and do you remember the moment where you thought i'm enjoying this I, i like what i'm doing uh in terms of teaching I don't know i've loved i've always always loved teaching but now i love teaching because i've i have some experience doing it now so i have i know i feel like i can i mean that's the the beauty of teaching is that every student that walks into the door is a completely different set of um issues right and it's finding out how to get that person to believe in what you're saying and you know you have to change approaches and you have to change techniques and and tone and (laughs) everything uh and it's it's just wild it's now if if i teach for seven hours in a row it just goes by like that it's gone done and i'm jazzed i'm wired afterwards are we talking like seven one hour sessions yeah and just uh it's it's really you just get like you just get pumped up because I don't know, you're you're constantly thinking. You're constantly analyzing, you're constantly trying to figure out, okay, how am I gonna get how am I gonna make how am I gonna make this better? How I'm gonna how am I gonna help you? Um so I love it. Love, 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 love.
1: What's the greatest reward of of teaching?
0: Uh just seeing like my students' successes. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean, you know, winning this job or winning this competition or or any kind of thing like that. It's just improving or having an aha moment or having a revelation about, you know, oh, I've figured out how to do this fourth finger vibrato finally. Or, oh, I just had this amazing recital that I didn't think I could do. Um, Or anything. Anything where... You're elevating yourself and pushing yourself beyond what you thought you could do. And then getting that feedback from your students, Um, it's great. And, you know, at the university level, it's really amazing. Like for undergrads, you get these students for four years. And I mean, it those are really important years in anybody's life. Right. And you're sort of the central figure in their lives. So you matter. Everything that comes out of your mouth matters, and um, I always get very emotional when a fourth year plays their last recital, because I know that they're done. And you think about like the first lesson when they were a first year to where they are as a fourth year, and the amount of growth, not only just on the cello but as a person, it's pretty it's pretty overwhelming. And uh, so, yeah, I there's so many rewards to teaching and like students come back to you and say, I'm doing this or I'm getting married or I, you know, whatever. It's just I mean, I'm still close with my teachers and that was 30 years ago now. And I I know they love hearing from me and I still thank them for everything that they did for me because they were, you know, kind of like my third parents so to speak at that time
1: so the young kid that decided that i want to be in the orchestra to the guy who's in the orchestra tell me about that journey how you look back on it
0: uh i don't know it seems like it was uh yesterday in a way (laughs) um
1: do you have lots you still want to accomplish Like, do you have, do you have goals?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I do. I want to, I want to keep getting better. I want to keep helping people. I mean, I think now my passion really is, is more in teaching. Um, I, I mean, I've kind of accomplished pretty much everything I've ever wanted and more in playing. I'm still trying to get better. I, I do have some playing goals, like I want to play all the box suites, which I've never done in one sitting or, you know, one long concert, right. or, which I'm going to try to do next year. Um, you know, I, I have a job in the summer at uh, Santa Fe Opera, so I love playing opera, and there's a lot of operas that I haven't played yet, so that, that's always exciting when I get to play some big opera that I've never done before, um but yeah, I think I think more I just i I just I'm always trying to get better in everything that I do, whether it's performing or teaching and learning um I think once that if I give up on that then then i'll then I'll be a little nervous um but yeah, that's why I love living here because there's so many great players in this town, there's so many great teachers here. Um, there's so many great musicians and everybody's really supportive that you're just like constantly surrounded by all these really awesome people and the students too. I mean, the students teach you so much. Um, I mean, cause you're telling them to do th- these things. And then when you are actually playing the piece yourself, you're like, oh, right. I have to do that. I have to shift slowly here. Joe come on (laughs) so yeah one
1: thing we didn't touch upon when you auditioned for the Minnesota Symphony and you got it the first time you didn't expect it right right so I can't imagine how difficult that is to be competitive in auditions to go where there's many many other cellists who are going for the same job as you right or when you came to Toronto I presume it's the same thing there was an audition process right What is it about that process that you were good at? I mean, have you auditioned for a lot of places and not succeeded or?
0: Yeah, well, no, I haven't auditioned for a lot of places, but certainly I've auditioned for places that I didn't win. Um, And how do you deal with that? uh, Well, losing sucks. Um, But it's also a really great motivator. And you can either you can either deny and just say, "Oh, it's not my fault, it's their fault," or you can look in yourself and say, "Okay, what could I've done better?" Um, you know i it's funny the auditions that I didn't do well in were auditions that I took that I didn't really totally like a hundred percent want. You know, it's like, oh, I should go take this audition. I should. Okay, I'll go do it. But then you just don't have that sort of commitment. And not to say that if I had the commitment, I would have won. But the auditions that I have won are, are auditions that, like, I was desperate. I really wanted to win. And it just changes your whole work ethic and your focus and what you're willing to do to prepare for that moment. So whenever students or people say, Oh, you know, I'm going to take this audition. I think it'll be a great experience. I know I'm not going to win, but then I say, well, then why bother, you know, why bother going to this audition that, you know, you're going to lose, like who wants to go and do something where, you know, you're going to suck. Mm -hmm. Like what's that going to do for you? Just give you more of a, of a, you know, a negative psyche for your next audition. But so it's so competitive, like it must be yeah. tough
1: for you to teach your students on a, how to audition for. an
0: Yeah, audition. but I mean, I think if you're going to go for something, then you should win. You should go to win it. Not just, not just the experience, not it. just to show up. I mean, I don't know. I don't get that. Maybe and maybe that's something that I have to think more about um, because I hear it a lot where people are like, oh, I want to go and just for the experience. Maybe there is something to that. Uh, but that's just not how I see it. I just think, like, if you're going to go for something, then you need to feel like you're on that level, and if you don't think you're going to win, then you should get better until you are at the point where you feel like you can compete. I mean, nobody knows if you're going to win, right? It's such a subjective thing. You can go to one orchestra who might love the way I play, and then I go to another orchestra, and they'll be like, oh my god, no way, we could never hire that person, and it's, it's... different and that's that's the way it goes and what i always tell my students or people who are playing and like look once you get into the final round it's completely personal it's not like you can have five people in the finals and everybody there could easily win the job then it's just like okay which one fits our orchestra and this particular committee or this particular music director um it has nothing to do with like, oh, can you play or not? It's, it's just, yeah. So it's, it's very interesting, the audition thing. I used to thrive on the competition, to be honest. I loved it because it was, for me, like auditioning, you have this list of excerpts and um, you're either playing the excerpt right or wrong, and there's nothing in between. <laughs> so it was this great battle with myself um, nothing improves your playing like a great audition or a competition. It's this weird—it's this weird pressure that doesn't exist in any other form.
1: That's true. Um, you've talked about how much you you like being in the orchestra. You talked about how much you like the city and all the great musicians. At this point, are you thinking that this is where you'll stay, or do you have, like, in your mind, you think, oh, I'd, one day I'd like to play for? this symphony or this orchestra or do you not think that
0: way uh i think at this point in my life i'm not really thinking about which orchestra i would go to next because i'm pretty happy here and um i mean you're kind of ingrained in there yeah it's gonna take something kind of monumental for me to leave here um the, I'm thinking that if I were to actually leave here, it would just be some great university job somewhere somewhere else or some small liberal arts college in, in Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, no, but uh, at this point, I have no... You know, I feel like I mean I lived I've lived in Minneapolis, I lived in Milwaukee, and now I lived here. I mean, the life of a musician is never set in stone. Um, I believe mine surely isn't because there's always options to go somewhere else. Um, like is is Europe any
1: like? Is there a difference between North American and European orchestras?
0: Oh gosh, yes, yeah. And I'll never move to Europe at this point i'm too ingrained in north america uh not only just just uh i mean it, it's you would you lose all of your contacts and you have to start all over networking and it, i'm too old <laughs> to deal with that i love europe but i'll go visit but to start over and i mean i i just know so many people all over canada and all over the us that um it would be crazy for me to to do something like that it's just too far away. Yeah. Um, I like it over here. So we'll see. I might stay here forever. I might leave in two years. I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> but so. at least
1: they're all <laughs> cold places. Why is that?
0: They're all cold places. Yes, I complain about this every winter. <laughs> every winter. I've never lived in a, in a warm city. That, that is a goal. Uh, I do want to live one winter cycle somewhere warm in my life.
1: I think this That's, is achievable.
0: Yeah, someday. Someday that will happen. But this is this is why I try to schedule as many of my out of town things in southern warm cities during the winter as possible. So like when I'm teaching at New World in Miami like hey, you know, <laughs> could I come down in January or February? <laughs> and like, oh, you want me to play a concerto and oh yeah, sure. Can can we do that in February? <laughs> yeah, you know, just uh yeah, find these nice festivals and Warm climates and just escape a little bit. I don't like winter. I, I I like snow, but I like that more in mountains or places where it's beautiful. Uh, and it's also schlepping a cello around. It, let me tell you, it is not easy to schlep a cello around for your whole life. And when you're dealing with snow and sleet and the subway and everything, like I I fly. I hear fly almost as hell. Never. Cello. I never get to fly without my cello. And so when I do fly without my cello, it I, I feel like, like a newborn baby. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, this is you so amazing. Tell me how that works because
1: I've heard nightmares about cello and flying.
0: Well, it's actually if you know, look, it should never be a nightmare if you're following the rules. This is you know you see these stories and then but you you gotta you gotta peel behind the curtain and. It's, it's very rare that you get the rogue airline employee who's like, no, you can't take... the you know, It's usually something that you have done incorrectly. So I've never had... I have never been kicked off an airplane with my cello.
1: Okay, so you have a cello that's from the, like, the 1700s or something, yep. right? Do you have more than one cello? No, ones? that's enough. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you, you travel with this thing. Right. Do you buy a second seat? Do yes. Do you buy a seat for your cello? Yes. So you always... Trumpet. I am
0: always in the middle seat. I am a I am a middle seat guy. That is the the, the bane of my existence. The cello gets the window. I get the middle seat. Um, the cello you know, gets the
1: window just because it's safer that way.
0: Well, it's a it's a rule because okay. if there's an emergency, you can't climb over a cello. Um, so yeah, the cello always goes in the window. Um, I have to say, Air Canada is amazing, 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 amazing with cellos, amazing. They are so good. They know exactly what they're doing. They have a great policy for cellists. Um, they are cello friendly, so I I travel Air Canada as much as I possibly can. Um, so it's just a matter of making sure you get the t- two
1: tickets. They know that it's a cello. It sits by the window. Yep, and everything else is easy.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, aside from schlepping that in your in your suitcase and your carry on, and, and you know, you feel like I mean you got to stay in shape, man, to like carry all this crap around with you. So um, because usually when I'm traveling, it's with the cello. I have to carry like a suit or some kind of dress clothes with my dress shoes. And then, uh, you know, it it just gets to be a lot of stuff. And so when I'm traveling without the cello, I just realize like, wow, this is how the rest of the world travels. And everybody's so crabby. (laughs) I'm like, you should just try traveling with a cello for just you know like a couple decades and then like you won't be crabby about traveling like you don't have to do anything you just show up check in you can check in online when you're a person (laughs) it's amazing
1: how do you leave your cello behind though is that a difficult thing to do when you when you decide you're going to go to hawaii to scuba dive and you're not bringing your cello
0: no it's really not hard where does the cello stay uh, in the house? That's it. It can stay it usually stays somewhere secure. Yeah. If I'm gone, yeah. Yeah. I decided. So. <laughs> um, but no, it's not it's it feels weird. I always feel weird when I don't have it physically. It's like phantom, you know, like if I don't know. Well you, if you like lose your leg I or mean, something, it's just it's like you feel like there's a part of you not with you now at least because i've been doing it for so long that even when i know i'm traveling without it leaving the airplane i feel weird not unbuckling it and <laughs> taking it out or whatever it's just so it's funny but it feels really good it's so nice i just did it um, what did i do it oh yeah a few like about a month ago i took a flight without it and it was it was amazing it was
1: great my final <laughs> question tell me about your relationship to that cello what is that
0: relationship well i think everybody's relationship with their instrument is so personal um it's your voice it's what you're giving the world um so yeah finding the perfect instrument for any musician can be a really long arduous process um this one i've had about five years i've uh, it came sort of to me in a very interesting way, and um, but yeah, I, it's it's a beautiful Italian cello from 1780, and I love it. Um, we get along really well. It, it it it's a it's a really great instrument to play um, concertos with because I feel like I don't have to force. My sound out you know as a cellist when you play concertos we're kind of smack dab in the middle of the register so people are always saying like you know i can't hear the cello i can't hear the cello but but this cello it's i number i never get those comments and it, it just feels like the cello just kind of zings out into the hall um so it's fun and did you know the first time you played it that this was yeah i knew that, that there was something for sure first note absolutely
1: and how much has that sound changed over the last five years?
0: Um, probably a lot. It it you know you learn from the instrument. I think when you've reached sort of the max of an instrument as an artist or as a performer, you kind of know. You're like, okay, I can't I can't give any more. This instrument and I have reached our have reached this point where I want more <laughs> out of this relationship and then that's when you change. And sometimes you never get there. And, and you, you know, you're just happy, you're like, yeah, this works, okay, great. Um, so there's a chance that this might not be your instrument? I don't know, I, right now, no. I mean, I love it. It's, I'm happy. It, it gives me everything I need. It's perfect for everything. Just soloing, chamber, orchestra, teaching um so yeah i'm i'm not i'm not looking around that's for sure (laughs) does it have a name (laughs) no it doesn't have a name i i think i named my my cellos when i was a kid but um now it's uh it's just the cello
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) joseph thank you so much for doing this of course pleasure
0: to talk to you (laughs) yeah thank you so much